0: to Finding Your Right Mind with me, Vanessa Potter. This is the backstory behind the story. I hope this podcast will be an exciting exploration, a consciousness road trip, and it's one I'm hoping you'll join me on. So sit back and let me explain how this all came about. the last three years, I have experienced 12 different ways to train my mind, from mindfulness to hypnosis to Zen to Vipassana to psychedelics and breathworks. When I say train my mind, I mean I've used a mind practice, whether a therapeutic intervention or a well-known meditation technique, to affect and positively impact different aspects of my life, from Why I so often find myself losing it with my kids when they can't find their school shoes in the morning. Or that pervasive sense of disconnect I sometimes feel, even when I'm surrounded by people I love. For the last three years, every time I have meditated, I have worn a very unattractive EEG headset that records my live brain activity through tiny little electrodes that pick up electrical signals through my scalp. So, why do this? Why has the Amazon man seen me answer the door with this ridiculous contraption on my head? Well, there is a reason. And actually, that reason changed throughout my experiment, but more on that later on. The main reason was that so scientists could explore my experiences during meditation. What happens exactly when we close our eyes to meditate? What's going on inside each of our minds? That's a question that scientists wanted to find the answers to, and I was their guinea pig. It's been one heck of an adventure, and I wrote a book about it, which comes out in April next year, called Finding My Right Mind. So, it's been a pretty unusual experiment, but how did I even get into that? To explain, I need to take you back to 2012. Back then, I was a TV producer firmly wedged in the rat race, working crazy hours and trying to care for my two children who were both under five. My husband Ed had an awful four-hour daily commute and worked ridiculous hours, so I have to say much of the daily grind fell on me. I'd taken some time off to go freelance and then, like so often happens in life, fate stepped in. I woke up one autumnal Monday morning feeling. Really, really dizzy. Like I had a sea of static interference in front of my eyes. Imagine shaking a snow globe and then standing in the middle of it. It was kind of something like that. A day in A&E didn't give any answers. So I went to bed that night and I remember thinking, just go away, whatever this is. But deep down, I think I always knew something really big and something really bad was happening to me. The next morning, I woke up to find I'd lost around 70% of my vision. There was a brown, murky blanket lying over everything, and for a second, I thought I'd woken up wearing sunglasses. As I stumbled my way downstairs, I realised my fingertips were numb too. Before I knew it, Ed and I were back in A&E, but this time... I wasn't leaving without answers. It all happened so incredibly fast. Over the next few days, my vision disintegrated. It's like it just slipped away, disappearing into an ever-decreasing vignette. And eventually, I was left with just a tiny pinprick of light. I remember staring at the letters on a hospital notice board when we waited to see yet another consultant who might be able to tell us what was destroying my senses. But as I sat there, I literally watched those letters dissolve, one by one, into nothingness. The numbness in my fingertips spread into my hands and crept at my toes and into my feet like some horrible, invisible force was taking over my body. It was like a horror movie, except it was real. And I was in the leading role. By the Thursday morning, my sight had completely gone. The world was black. All in all, it had taken just three days for my whole life to turn upside down. Here I was, blind and paralysed, lying in a hospital bed with doctors unable to tell me what was wrong or if I'd survive. I was utterly terrified. I'll pause for a minute there because I know that that's quite a lot to take in. Even retelling the story, I can recall the horror I felt. But while what happened to me was traumatic, terrifying, life-changing, there was some light within all of it. Because, you see, as human beings, we are remarkably resilient. We may not realise we are, but we have infinite resources at our fingertips, even when we can't feel our fingertips. There are things we can do to help ourselves. And this story does have a happy ending. It took a year, but my sight returned, painfully slowly, layer by layer, my visual system rebooted, and the world opened up to me once again but it didn't just switch back on like a light bulb. Vision, I've learnt, doesn't work like that. It came back online in fragments. To begin with, I saw wispy grey clouds, a swimming mirage somehow just out of reach, a landscape I can't explain to you because as humans, we're not meant to see this behind-the-scenes optical rigging. This was my sight being rebuilt, each foundation stone being gently placed one on top of the other. This was colour inching its way back into my life. Apples that could be red or green laughed at me as I stared at them for hours, willing my confused brain to recognise colour. Lines would appear, jiggling on the horizon, demarcating door frames or the sides of roads. My injured brain perceived contrast and tonal differences rather than detail or texture. I didn't see my husband's face for four months. My feet thawed too. The numbness, which was rather like my limbs had been encased in blocks of ice, began to break up and I slowly learnt to walk again. I learnt to hold my children, to cuddle them, to play with them. I also learnt to hold a knife and fork, to feed myself and to be independent. My family and friends cared for me throughout all of this. Doctors and the NHS kept me safe. They did an amazing job. But I realised pretty early on that it would be me, my mind, that would heal my body. And it's that journey and that knowledge and where it has subsequently taken me that will be the lifeblood of this podcast. So, I dabbled in the past in meditation. I say dabbled because I was definitely not an expert. I didn't even have a regular practice, but I had some tools that, even though I hadn't thought of them in years, came rushing back to save me. I'd used visualization, breathing, and self-hypnosis during the birth of my son two years earlier with enormous success. And so, those were the first tools that came rushing back, and I dipped into them. Slow yogic breathing calmed my mind, gently eased my body into the parasympathetic, that healing mode that I needed so desperately. Using self-hypnosis, I imagined myself seeing. I created an entire visual world, a beach, in fact, and I transported myself into this safe, warm, colourful sanctuary continuously throughout the day. I might have been just lying in my hospital bed to those around me, but inside my mind, I was somewhere else entirely. So perhaps it's not so hard to see why I have a love affair with the mind and the amazing things it's capable of. The amazing things I can do to help myself. Meditation saved my mind, and I don't say that flippantly. It projected me onto the biggest self-experimenting exploration of my life. And eight years on, I feel like I'm only just getting started. As I have discovered, there are infinite ways to interact with our own consciousness. Ways we can dip beneath the surface of our over-cluttered, over-noisy, over-stimulated lives into other realms other places even. I have to be careful, I know it's really easy to sound evangelical, but what I have experienced over the last few years has proven to me, without the flicker of a doubt, that our minds and bodies have enormous and often unrealized potential. I have tiptoed into these new realms using a host of different methods to explore the vast expanse of my conscious experience and those unconscious parts of my psyche and the intersections between the two. So now you know why I undertook this experiment, why my curiosity got piqued, why I had such a drive to understand myself more intimately. This podcast will carry on from where my book left off, delving more deeply into the incredible world of meditation and spirituality and talking to the teachers, the experts and scientists I met along the way. Some of the people I'll talk to may not appear to be so obviously connected to spirituality or meditation, but if I've learned anything, it is that a spiritual practice is about life. Every aspect of our life, how we respond to it, to those around us, it's not just the sitting still bit. So don't expect a woo-woo flight of fancy. This is an investigation into the complex nature and mechanics of the mind and the very real ways in which we can positively impact that by cultivating awareness, empathy, gratitude, being able to recognise triggers, looking at what makes us feel safe, what makes us feel connected and why we sometimes don't feel those things. I want to investigate what makes us trust. And I want to look at ways we can develop our emotional intelligence and flex those compassion muscles and gain insight and a more organic understanding of what really makes us who we are. We're all given this gift of an incredible mind and body, but nobody gives us the user manual. Without some form of self exploration, there's so much we don't discover about ourselves. If you want to access and utilise this organic knowledge, we have to experiment, to ask questions, to look beyond the symptoms we might experience, to the root causes that are out of sight. I've learned I had to learn, or perhaps relearn, how to trust and act on my instinct and not suppress the constant messaging, the signalling that my body transmits but to embrace my all-knowing, all-remembering body. And know it can guide my impatient, my interrupting, my second-guessing, rational mind. So, together, let's do this. Let's unravel the narratives and find the real stories hidden beneath. If this sounds like fun to you, then hit subscribe. I'd love you to join me. Coming up next is my first episode. I'll look at 50 Shades of Meditation with Karen Matko. Don't be deceived to think that mindfulness is the only way to meditate. Of course, it's a very important and popular form, and it's a vital precursor, in fact, to many other practices. But there is a multitude of ways to explore our minds, some of which are very weird, and some of which are really quite wonderful. Tune in and find out more.